We've seen many times how being in the spotlight can have negative effects on someone's mental health. More and more often, we hear celebrities and influencers open up about how fame and notoriety isn't always what we imagine it to be, especially when it comes to how those around them start labeling them and feeling as they have the right to control who they are and what they stand for. On today's episode of Latin Nikki's, I speak with Latina actress turned life coach Angel Aviles. Angel is the author of a new self-help book called Too Happy to Be Sad Girl. And recently, she was recognized by Los Angeles City Council President Nuri Martinez for her book, The First Woman and Only Woman of Color to Hold This Position in the City of Los Angeles. Angel's experience in the spotlight is what inspired her to help others and write about surviving sadness, ditching anxiety, and learning to thrive. On this episode, Angel and I talk about all of those things and what it means to put yourself first. Hola. Yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is Latinx, a show brought to you by La Red Hispana in the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. This season, we want to focus on empowering you to follow your passion and be smart about chasing your dreams while speaking to Latinx from all over, de diferentes colores y sabores. Thank you for all of your support. Our community keeps growing, so make sure to join Latinx on Instagram and TikTok at Latinx. You can also find out more on our website at wearelatinnickies.com. My name is Angel Aviles, and I am best known for my role as sad girl in the film Mi Vida Loca. I'm a native New Yorker, which tends to stun some people and I'm honored that it does stun people because it it really speaks to the fact that we were all really authentic and I'm really really proud of that film uh it stands as one of the only sort of um pieces of art that highlights this specific group of marginalized women and um It just it was a real a realistic time stamp of the time and I I feel really honored to have to have been a part of so many people's history. So what I do now is um I am a coach. I am a confidence coach. I help people to make important life transitions and that could be whether it's creating boundaries, leaving toxic relationships, toxic jobs, but just simply stepping into the magnificence that they long for and belong in. How can I sign up? Because I need that. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, trust me, I was my own first client. So, um, and I wrote a book about it. So that, so yes, bring it, bring it on. Oh my God, I have so many questions, but tell me first what your book is about and why you wrote it. Okay, so my book is a book called Too Happy to Be Sad Girl. It is a it's a self-help memoir. That's how it's classified in, you know, on Amazon and in in I guess the literary world, a mm-hmm. self-help memoir. And so basically it was it's it's a book that chronicles some very real experiences that I've had in my life. 
um, really talks about my, my bouts of depression, my debilitating anxiety, panic attacks that, that came to me um, and really, really just threatened my mental health in a way that I, I honestly thought I might need to be committed. That's how serious it was. Um, and, um, and just how I came out of it and I survived. And then I just got brave enough to start talking about it and realizing that we all needed to talk about it. What happened between Mi Vida Loca and Too Happy to Be Sad Girl? So what happened between the time that I was at the peak of my creative existence and my basic nervous breakdown, um, I just started taking on too many roles that were outside of who I was supposed to be. I started taking on the roles of the person that I thought I was supposed to be as opposed to who I really was. And I think that that's something to, that happens to us, particularly as Latinas, not that it doesn't happen to everyone, but I just think that we so often don't talk about these things. We so often don't talk about this invisible cape that we have to don every damn day and show up as you know the super person, the super servant, the super overachieving person who has so many, it's so multifaceted because as Latinas, we have to be everything at home, but then we're faced with this very sort of um, colonialized existence too. So we have to code switch when we go to work and then we have to leave all of that super high achieving behavior and then still go home and be the, the hija, the esposa, the madre. And um, for me, it just got super impossible to carry the burden of, of playing all those roles and still ultimately feeling like an extra. Right now, you're at an age where you can see, sort of look behind, look back and understand these things. And I mean, we've all been there, right? We go through this incredible, like big, life-changing event and it takes a, a few years to really understand why it happened how it happened what what we learned or how we grew from it so what were these moments where you realized that you were the extra in those many roles wow there there were just a series of incidents i mean first of all anyone i want to just encourage anyone younger than me i'm 51 so if you're younger than 51 and you're feeling like, can I say shit? Because there's no other word to, of course, to, to describe yes. <laughs> this state of being other than total shit. Like, hang on, my friend. There is a way out of this. And so I think that to talk about where I am now and, and being able to look back, um, it was simply like, I, I think the best description of it is a germination process where you're a seed and everything feels dark. And just like that seed, the shell of that seed has to be broken in order for this thing to, to grow out and, and blossom and find some sunlight. Um, that's what it felt like to me. So it, it, it felt like I was in this cold, dark, lonely place. And, and I like to describe that because um, I think when we don't talk about those things, we, we tend to be very lonely. 
when we're in those dark places, we tend to not recognize that, damn, there are seeds all over, all around me, and they're going through exactly this, exactly this process. And we have a choice, like we, we have a choice to, to um, I won't say that we have a choice to feel those things because part of, of struggling with, with depression is that um, sometimes it's literally just holding on. But we have choices in how we manage those things. We have choices in, in whether we're gonna talk about them and whether we're gonna allow shame to keep us from moving forward in our own healthcare, in our own wellness. And so I chose to start talking. Um, one of the things, I, I, it, so it was a series of things, um, a series of things that I started to realize one is that there was this physical and mental and emotional and spiritual connection. Like I was three components of this, of this person and that I needed to address all of those things equally um, in order to achieve the level of well-being that I wanted to, to live my life at. So immediately I went from physically training at the gym because of vanity to thinking about moving my chi because it's good for me and it's an energetic flow. And that's why I move this thing, this, this shell that I belong in. I don't move it to please other people. I move it because I deserve it. I move it because I love myself. Wait, that's amazing. And I think about it because it, connecting it to, that's part of mental health, right? Like just something simple, like you said right now, going to the gym and instead of going to the gym and thinking about what your body is supposed to look like, what the expectations are of, you know, your endurance, are you doing crazy things and having this strength or, or comparing yourself to others as we know through social media and all of that. It's more about for your, your movements, your actions, what can you do for the energy around you? I love it. And sort of like elevating the experience and not getting stuck in this one-dimensional, I'm going to the gym to get prettier or whatever the expectation is. Um, that's brilliant, that's amazing. Can you tell me a little bit about the moment that you felt the lowest of the low that you sort of realized, oh, or I get out or I'm never gonna get out now? Um, I wish it was like one thing. Unfortunately, it was a series of events that happened over, I guess, a, a, about a year where I would just wake up. It, it was um, triggered by postpartum depression, as well as um, the death of my mother. And so these events, which are traumatic, but we are in this society escorted out of pain extremely quickly. And so in order to maintain everyone's level of comfort, I escorted myself out quickly because I knew I was a mom and you have to hold it together when you're a mom. You, you know, we, we're taught as, as Latinas that you have to protect these children and protection often looks like denying them the ability to see you in these natural states, in sadness, in fear. And I often wonder like, how, how are we expecting these children to develop coping skills when they've never seen anyone else model 
dealing with this, right? So, um, you know, I was escorted. I, I, and I willingly escorted myself out of that pain. I didn't seek help. I didn't look at it as traumatic. I was just like, this is a life event. People die. This is it. You know, keep it moving. Um, and then I was dealing with, um, you know, I had dealt with postpartum depression. And so that, that came first and then I came out of it. And then my mom passed away and I just kind of felt like all the progress I had made out of the depression kind of just swooped me back in. It was like the, you know, like a wave where it comes and you just sucked back in. And so, um, it, it, and this was actually through, it was a couple of years. And so I started to recognize that the depression wasn't just in my mind. I started to recognize that this was a physical thing that was happening and that there were ways to combat that. And I started to examine every part of my, my, my life. Like I said, I started to uh, examine my spiritual, my physical, my emotional and my mental existence. What I felt like, so my emotions, ooh, I, I started to get hypersensitive. I was always told that, oh, you're too sensitive. You're too emotional. And what I recognize is no, that's a lie. It's a lie that I had begun to believe to please other people who couldn't handle where I was. But see, that was a gift. It was a gift that I was given because I was meant to monitor myself and my own emotion and to recognize, hmm, I, I, this is my anxiety. And I called it like an emotional barometer. A barometer, you know, it, it measures the atmospheric pressure. And so I began to use that as a barometer for hmm, something's triggering me. Let me pay attention to what that is. What, is. what is it in my environment that's making me anxious? Is it what I'm eating, what I'm not eating? Is it what I'm, where I am, the things that I'm dealing with? What kinds of people I'm allowing in my environment? Is it that I'm not getting enough sleep? There are so many factors in our environment. And I realized that in this evaluation and in this measurement, I began to get more empowered and more brave, more courageous to stand up and say, mm -mm, I don't want that in my environment. I refuse to have that in my environment because I no longer want to feel like shit. I no longer, since I'm not going to the gym to please anybody else, and I'm not, you know, taking any, I'm not going to work in this toxic environment, or I'm not going to be in this toxic relationship. I started to feel this, this shift. And all of a sudden I was empowered. And I'm not gonna say that I no longer have bouts of deep sadness. I no longer have panic, which I, I have been panic attack free for over a decade. Thank you. Um, I, I'm so grateful for that because anyone who's had a panic attack understands that it's terrifying and it feels like you're going to die. So again, for anyone that's listening, I feel you and there, I don't want to be um, corny or uh, cliche and say there's light at the end of the tunnel, but there's help. I learned that panic is also something that can be genetic. You're not crazy. So 
So keep seeking your own mental health and stop listening to people that are passing off your shit because they don't know how to deal with their own. I just started to get more empowered and I started to understand that some of it is in my head because the source of everything we do is our brain. So it could be chemical, it could be mental, it could be energetic because we still don't know everything there is to know about this massive tool we have in our head. But I no longer pass it off as an excuse like, "Mm, she's just loca. I am a little loca, but I'm loca on my terms. What would you hope for me? And, And you've talked about, we shouldn't feel alone. And there's power in, in that unified mindset of han habido muchas antes de ti y muchas después that will go through the same journey. And your sort of role in life, if you choose to accept it, um, goes further than yourself, right? And, and you took this responsibility. So what, what do you hope us readers to, to get from reading your book? I hope that you have the courage to put yourself first. That's a lot. That alone for a Latinx person is enormous. Reading Angel's book feels just like you're talking to her. Too Happy to be Sad Girl comes with valuable techniques to reduce stress, improve communication, intensify focus, and help individuals become more present. The book, which is very cool, also features heartfelt and sometimes comical anecdotes of understanding, offering readers the keys to the power of forgiveness, acceptance, and love. Ultimately, the book Too Happy to be Sad Girl is Angel's invitation for individuals to stay present and have an active role in the celebration of their own life. years a little bit can I ask you about toxic relationships um (laughs) more than anything I want to I mean just because I think it goes aligned with what you just said putting yourself first right um so maybe it's not shifting gears that much but there's so many ways we can start talking about toxic relationships I think the biggest question I would have for someone who's talked about this um is where do you start to address the fact that you're in a toxic relationship Well, I think that one of the things we look at in terms of toxic relationships is like the source of what's wrong. Now, I could be bleach and you could be ammonia. I'm not out here trying to, I mean, neither one of them is perfect, right? Neither one of them is perfect, but they're all, they're each doing their job. You know, they're just being bleach and ammonia. But you put the two together and they're absolutely deadly. And so oftentimes that's what toxic relationships are. They're this combination of people who have not dealt with their own shit. So if bleach comes in and doesn't know how to be anything but bleach and ammonia comes in and doesn't know how to be anything but ammonia, they're going to start to destroy everything in their path. And that's what toxic relationships are. 
sometimes we we think that you know we're sort of in a relationship and we're baking a cake you know i come in i've got the ingredients i'm the dry ingredients they're the wet ingredients we put it together we bake it and we forget that it's not baked forever right in a cake it's it becomes one thing but in relationships you can undo that shit you you can press the the rewind button and you can be your separate things and go your separate ways and it and it doesn't necessarily have to be like oh that person was to blame you can spend years in therapy trying to figure out why you know that person as opposed to like okay it didn't work out that was that stop focusing so much on that side of the relationship and focus on what it was in you that you needed to fix or that just wasn't ready for that. Because sometimes it's not about fixing either. Sometimes it's just about learning what needs to be learned to get through this thing called life. Very well Thank said, you. very storyteller. <laughs> Are you oh, an author no. by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> right, an author, and a former actress. Oh, oh, and I have to say that when I was a kid, I was always in trouble for talking, always. And it just so happens that that's how I make my living. So once again, it's these assignments that we're given, these expectations that create this sort of, um, that, you know, that, that in itself, it was taking this kid's personality. I was always meant to be this person, but instead somebody said that, that who I was was wrong because I didn't fit into this mold of who I should have been. So I was always in trouble, notes and everything. I was always in trouble because I, I just, they didn't have room for me. There was nothing wrong with me. There was just, the, the room wasn't in them. The system sometimes isn't, the educational system sometimes isn't built for certain people. And it's not because there's something wrong with them. It's just that they're not ready for you, essentially. Girl, they were not ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were not ready. I was always in trouble. I mean, I was a good kid mm -hmm. and I was smart, but I just, I like to talk. And you're good at it. Many years of practice. Yes. <laughs> you also mentioned that you're a confidence coach. We could go deep, but I want, I have one question, which is where do you start to work on your confidence? especially because you mentioned imposter syndrome. And I know many of us, especially my listeners, go through very similar things. I think we talked about it in one of the past episodes I did with somebody else. We talked about imposter syndrome and I got many messages about it. And so where does even one start? You say confidence coach. I don't even, I didn't even know that was a thing. So I want to say that imposter syndrome, it's, it, and I talk about imposter syndrome in my book because I, I definitely felt like an imposter for so much of my life. Um, but I also want to say that anyone who comes from a marginalized community is set up for imposter syndrome. So it, it's going to be almost a natural state of being since you're coming into an environment where the standard is set for you never to achieve whatever the gold standard is. So understanding where you are placed on that rung automatically begins to get your wheels churning. Like you start to think, 
shit, I, I have an entire history. Yes, go back to the, the history that you have in school and, and what the expectations were and how things differed from what you were faced with dealing with at school versus what you were, what you dealt with at home. And there, there's so much. But the very, very beginning, the very, very start of it is believing that you're worthy. Believing that you deserve to live your life, not that you'll always be comfortable because that's unrealistic, but you deserve to have a life that you feel confident in, that you can, can celebrate your achievements without putting on this false ideal of humility. Now you can be humble, but you don't have to be a doormat. You can be humble and, I, I love this, I saw this meme, it said, you can be humble and dope at the same time. Yes. You deserve to have a brag bank, a brag book, a brag sheet that highlights all the shit that you've done. Because I don't care, you're, you, you have listeners, I'm sure they're from all over the place. And no matter how old they are, they have a list of achievements that they can put in a bag that when they go to that interview, they can be like, hold on, hold on, let me get in there. I'm a bad bitch, I'm a chingona, I'm the, oh, yes, yes, yes. And to know that if you don't get hired, it's on them. Like how much do we need to be shown that discrimination exists, that there's a huge wage gap? But we deserve to understand that unless we, un unless we are worthy, unless we, develop the confidence to stand up against that, it's not gonna change. If we continue to just take what people give us and oh, we're taught to be grateful and thankful. And yes, you can be thankful and still ask for what you deserve. I, I, I wrote this book and it took 10 years to write. And part of that was that uh, I wrote it as a workbook. So when you read the book, it's full of stories and tales from my life, but it's also filled with practical tools that you can apply. Everything from simple breathing exercises to meditation to a very interesting creative exercise that I do at my workshops. It took me 10 years because the hardest part was the personal part. See, I had created the workbook so I could, I could send it out, email it to my clients. Here's a book, these are the things, these are the modules that I do. One of the, the most important and I guess the most impactful part of this book is that it's about my life. It's about a brown girl who came from the hood and did some shit in her life. And we need more. We need more of that. We need more Latinx stories. We need more representation. I don't want to be the only, just like I didn't want to be the only brown girl in film for so long, representing in that way. I mean, what was it? Jennifer Lopez. And I mean, I didn't have that notoriety, but there were so few of us right? There's so many of us, 23 countries are Latino, right? 
but Hispanic, whatever we're going to call it, but so few, so few of us representing. I don't want to be the only person in the self-help section. I don't want to be the only, I don't want to be the only. It's not necessarily what's in my book per se, but what I'm challenging your listeners to do. Step into that. I'm 51. I want to retire soon. Be them bad bitches. Write your books. Do your dissertations. Go get your pay raises. Do some shit. Because it's not about, it's about you and about you claiming what you deserve. But when you do that, you create a legacy. And you're worth it. And so are your babies and your grandbabies and your nieces and your nephews and everyone who follows you. And guess what? Even the people ahead of you reconcile the fact that your grandparents, some of them slaves, some of them murdered because of the color of their skin. You're here to reconcile that. Do it because you deserve it. Your community deserves it. Show up. I'm going to give you a lightning round of questions. So it's like you just answer fast. Uh, Okay. Favorite book. Oh, okay. So my favorite one. (laughs) I might be asking the wrong person this question. (laughs) Okay. Um, I, I, um, I love the house of the spirits by Isabel Allende. Oh, that's a good one. Favorite singer. Prince. The first thing you do in the morning. Take a deep breath. Hidden talent. Hidden? <laughs> Ooh. I like to brag. Didn't I say brag book? <laughs> I haven't discovered it yet. If it's hidden, I don't know. Oh, okay. That's an interesting answer. Okay. Quality you look for in your friends. Humor. Nice. One thing you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? That I'm badass. One question I haven't asked that you wish I did ask? About my kids. Tell me about your kids. So I have three beautiful babies. um, And uh, I have a 26-year-old, a 19-year-old, and an 18-year-old. They are my biggest teachers and they are amazing humans. Is there anything else you would like to say? Thank you. I, I, I love doing these things and I, I love being able to share what I've learned with your generation who continues to inspire me. I, I do think that you all are, um, are braver than you give yourself credit for, so keep doing. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode with Angel. You can follow Angel at Angel Awakened on Twitter or check out her website at angelawakened.com. You can also get her book on Amazon. That's Too Happy to Be Sad Girl. As always, you'll find all of this information in the description of this episode. Remember to support us by rating this podcast on Apple. As you know, this will help us continue to work on the show and bring on guests who inspire and motivate you. This is Latinx. I'm your host, Andrea Marquez. Thank you for listening.